just got a testimony of a, one of our students' daughter-in-law um, three years ago had a prayer request. I think she had either three or four stage cancers, and we just heard that she doesn't have cancer no more. We can call that a small miracle, taking three years to get to where it was, but it's a miracle. It's that shifting of our consciousness, sometimes our body, yeah, that needs to heal and, and restore, but it is about the goodness of God and how we take it into prayer. Sometimes I, with these prayer requests can be very rattling in a sense, tragic, like a, a death, an accident, but we need to get out of our emotions and really tap into the bigger part, which is God. And I think our ministry represents that in a very special way, especially our community at Monks and Ordain and the students that are now joining us in prayer. But there's a conscious awareness of God's presence of building in me. But one of the forms of, I call it, praying it in, at least for me, because there's many gifts of the Holy Spirit, but one of them can be a word of knowledge or a vision that God gives me. And it kind of brings and it sets me up to be aware of what's happening. And I just had that experience going to Hawaii back in February. I remember being on the church service and during the worship time, I seen this vision of me baptizing people in the oceans, which I've never done before. And two months later, I get an invitation from Maria, Lucia, and Bob to baptize his son, Artie. And it's like, I knew it was one, but it, the vision does more than one. And it ended up being rescheduled for four. And then by the time our trip ended, we ended up baptizing ten in the ocean, which is just, and I just, I felt so embraced by God during that time. I was in the ocean for an hour, but it was like, it was the most divine hour I ever, it's like being in bliss. It reminded me of swimming in the Dead Sea, where you just float, no matter how fat or heavy you are, you still float, and that's what I felt in the ocean in Hawaii, was that warm embrace of God's love. But I believe gifts of the Holy Spirit really can expand, and once we tap into it, we're going to see those miracles, so we can actually pray in miracles for yourself. And I'm sure you already have miracles for because it's really about honoring that presence whenever we can do that. So, I, I want to say one more thing about this, too. Is that Dana, in that same message, said, what you need is healing, healing, healing. That was when I began the sessions with you. I was going to FSD healing circles. And there came a point at which I noticed that I was starting to heal. And it was a little bit of physical healing, but mostly, like you say, it was my heart that was healing. And so I had this question in my mind, why am I healing now all of a sudden? Why is this happening? And Dana addressed that in one of these healing sessions, the way he, he reads the room. And, and he said, why am I healing? He said, you're healing because you have a relationship with God. It takes a relationship. And I realized that that was true. That was the thing that had changed. And once that started, it was just a little bit of a relationship. But once it started, it's like it, it grabbed hold of me. It was so compelling. I wanted it. And the more I wanted it, the more God gave me and the more I healed. And for me, the healing, the, the most profound healing has been that I have a relationship with God. It's real. I know it. I trust it. It's there every day. And nobody can take it away from me, and I'm never alone, no matter no matter what I have to deal with. It's always there. I just have to give it my attention. This is everything of, like, me thinking I know, <laughs> plan, 
what I'm going to do, how this is going to be, even all of this leading up to this, what this talk was going to be, how we're going to do all of it. And God is like, you know what? I'm leading you. I'm showing. And so I just kept praying, show me what you want to come through me, because I really don't know what the way is. And by this time in my life, I really understand, like, you know what? I really don't have a clue. <laughs> so really, it's about how do I surrender my will and my ego and my mind and just tap into spirit and do my best to hear where spirit wants to lead. Wow. That's really said, George. You know, I had a conversation with a client the other day, and this client was saying they're turning 40, and they really don't have a lot. Uh, that person's married with two kids, husband, but she said that she has nothing to prove. They don't own a car, they don't have a house, they don't have a savings. I could tell the fear that was building because that's expectation. I said, well, I can apply that. Your example, I can apply to my life. And I was around 40 when, when I was working. I always volunteered with John Ruff for all those 28 years that I was working with him. But it was volunteer. And so I had a side job, but it wasn't anything in a sense. I could say, well, I'm preparing for retirement. You know, I'm building this up, building that up. And it wasn't until I think it was on either 45 or 60 that I hit a mark and an opportunity presented south. And for the next 10 years, I worked like a dog, but I God made it all up in 10 years from what I had before. And now I'm blessed. So, and I know that gave heart to that person. It's like, God's in charge of this. Don't worry, don't plan. Yes, we do. We have extra money. You put it away. There's wisdom in it. But we are supposed to still be led by. And I'm wondering how many people are listening to this talk tonight and that story about letting go. How much of us do we still need to let go? Maybe you're selling a house. Maybe you're trying to sell a house and you can't. Maybe should I be married? Should I not? Should I get a new job? What's my next step? All of those, and I'm sure all of us can go down our own list. But there's who champions the spirit. It's God who champions the spirit within us. But our makeup is to let go. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lifetime of, <laughs> of well blues, but it's the blessing part. That's the right. That's the reach. And I think what you were just saying about this clip about how do I choose forgiveness? How do I choose love? How do I choose compassion? Right. And we come about uh, up on these things. Blues to blessings is how do we take something that's really challenging and dark, or what we would consider bad. And how that actually is, like I just said, fodder for our life and for the work and sets us up to actually transmute. That's what the arch was talking about. He says, you took that and you transmuted it to the, his holiness. But I'm going to talk a little bit about a few people that we actually all know about. I'm not going to go into their entire lives. I'm just going to talk little, little pieces that hopefully will kind of spark some stuff, some thought, some feelings. And the first person I'm going to talk about is David. He was the second king of Israel, right? Saul was the first. God, he really, God really flipped the script, <laughs> did the unexpected, because that's what flipped the script is, is doing, taking, doing, choosing the unexpected. By choosing David, he was really an underdog. He was the youngest. He was not the eldest of eight. Was a musician, warrior, shepherd, but he was anointed. And from what, what it seems like, he was anointed when he was around 12, 14 years old. He was, he was very young. And so God sends Samuel and he says, you were going to go and you're going to anoint this, the next one, right? 
And even Samuel, it's interesting in all of these stories, everybody's like arguing with God. Like, oh, no, no, I don't think this is the right thing. And God like, no, 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 you go, you do what I'm saying. I know, I know what's up. So Samuel goes and David's father, of course, brings out his eldest son and then brings out another one. And Samuel's like, no, this is not him. No, no, this is not him. They get through seven and he's like, don't you have, do you have anything else? And of course, he says, well, I have my youngest, but he's out in the field. He's, he's with the sheep. And so he says, can you bring him? And he brings him and immediately he anoints him. And he says, this is this is the one. God said, this is the one. And, and Samuel was, was instantaneously anointed him. And what I found interesting, it was another 20 years before David was king. And so I think there's, God calls us, chooses us, but his plan is way, way different than ours. And we often think it should be this, it's going to go like this, but God's plan is, is very, very different from ours. And David began his career as an aide at the court of Saul. He was a musician, like I said, a warrior, he played the harp. Definitely distinguished himself as a warrior. His popularity as a warrior really made Saul jealous, and Saul really hated David. He had to think for him, and he went after trying to kill him multiple times. It was really an interesting thing. And so David had, he escaped. He plotted and he went to southern Judah, the coast of Palestine. And David really flipped the script here where he he did something unexpected. He was an outlaw with a price on his head and became a leader of a group of kind of like outlaws and refugees. And they protected the people of the time. And when someone would come in and steal something, David would come and take it back, give it back to the people. So he was kind of like an early Robin Hood. It was kind of fascinating. But in all of this, he strengthened himself in God. And throughout all of these people I'm going to talk about, the choice is always to choose God. He wrote at this time, right, when all of this happened, he says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my savior, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am safe from my enemies. So he knew where his where the source was. And when after he was anointed king and Saul was killed, Saul killed Jonathan, Jonathan and Saul's son, and Jonathan loved David, they both of them, they, they, they were very, very close. And when a king dies in those times, you, you went and you killed the family. It was just what you did. It was like, you take them out and you kill everybody that's left. I've been watching a bunch of Elizabeth and all of these queens, and like they literally, they step in and then they take everybody out. When David was anointed king, he said, Is there anyone left of Saul's family I can show the kindness of God to? So he, like, this is completely opposite of what was was expected at the time. And there was uh, Mephibosheth. He was a disabled son of Jonathan, and which is so he would be Saul's grandson. And David does is what God does for us. He invited him, and he says, For the rest of your days you will dine at my table. And he really did take him in and, and love him, honor him. What did happen with David is that he lost his way, and that happened with Bathsheba, which we kind of, a lot of us know this story, but basically David was king, he's doing good, he had multiple wives, they were at war, he should have been at war, he was not at war, he was at home, he's outside, he sees her bathing, and he's like, I want her, and he sent for her, he impregnated her. Even in all that wasn't like, hey, do you want to come be with was like, if the king summoned you, you went. So a lot of ways that was already so dark. But then when she got pregnant, he was like, oh. And so he's like, he sends for Uriah, which is her husband, to bring him home to like, okay, well, you know, at least he comes home and thinks it'll be his. And, and Uriah is too good of a person. And he doesn't want to come home. So David plots to kill him and sends him out to a place where he's going to be killed. And so in that, David becomes a murderer is really what happened. He didn't see it right away. It wasn't like, oh, I'm like, I really messed up. 
because he took her as his wife and she became part of everything and the child's born and was both cursed stuff, a bunch of stuff, but he didn't see what he had done. And so the pro prophet Nathan comes to him and he says, I'm going to tell you a story. He says, there's this really rich guy <laughs> and, and there's this really poor guy. And he goes to the really poor guy who has this really precious sheep, one sheep, and he takes that sheep. And David says, that man must die. And the prophet Nathan says, you are that man. That's what you did. And so David saw his, the error in his ways. And the, the blues to blessings in this is what came from what happened to David. This is what he wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I have known my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit from me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So what we learn from this right, is that integrity isn't natural. We gravitate towards selfishness <laughs> and self-pleasure because we're human. That's what we do, right? And that was, that was what he was doing. Doing the right things regardless of circumstances is true righteousness. It is a right choice. It is choosing to do what is right. God calls us to holiness not to convenience. Guard your heart, David is said to be a man after God's own heart, but he neglected to protect his own from his desires and from his sinful nature. And power, power corrupts. We watch it, we're looking at it in politicians, mega pastors, sports guys, coaches, directors, corporate leaders. It's like everywhere we look, we're seeing this where the absolute power and money seem to make us think that we get to do things that are not okay. But he confessed his sin and the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to help us overcome trauma, guilt, or regret. He leaned into God for forgiveness, for comfort, and direction. He said, my sin is ever before me. So it wasn't a thing of like, okay, I'm letting go of this and we're done. We're clear. But I think he really understood that what he did was, was not okay in so many ways. And from that, he reconnected with God, reconnected with Source, and he was able to live out his life in a clearer, cleaner way. So what I'm working with today is, as Padre said, flipping the script from anger to acceptance. And when Padre Paul first asked me to take part in this month's class, once my nerves settled down, which they haven't completely, but flipping from anger to acceptance was exactly what I was in the middle of. So obviously I had to recognize the need for the, a change and clearly in my heart I knew that it was necessary for change. I needed to change how I looked at the situation. I really needed to flip the script. I've been reading The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen and there was a paragraph in his book where he's talking about anger that, that really spoke to me. He's actually speaking to the contemporary ministry, but it did speak to what I was experiencing, and I think it can apply to any of us. He writes, Anger, in particular, seems close to a professional vice in the contemporary ministry. Pastors are angry at the leaders for not leading, and at their followers for not following. They are angry at those who do not come to church for not coming. 
and angry at those who do come for coming without enthusiasm. They're angry at themselves for not being who they want to be. This is not an open, blatant, roaring anger, but an anger hidden behind the smooth word, the smiling face, and the polite handshake. It is a frozen anger, an anger which settles into a biting resentment and slowly paralyzes a generous heart. If there is anything that makes the ministry look grim and dull, it is this dark, insidious anger in the servants of Christ. When I read that, I could really see where I had often allowed my own anger to become frozen, the frozen anger that he was talking about, and that I definitely was not only in need of, but more than ready to flip that script and to release the anger and calcified thinking and to come to a deep inner acceptance. The next step for me was to acknowledge that I need help. Obviously, this situation had been going on for months without any meaningful or lasting change, so I really was ready to admit that clearly I needed help with this that God hopefully had a solution if I would just really open up and ask for help to see it. So I acknowledged that I truly needed help, but my mind was still swirling a million miles an hour. I was with the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 94, 19, Lord, when doubt fills my mind and my heart is in turmoil, quiet me. And then I read in Jesus calling, come to me and rest. Give your mind a break from the habitual judging. You form judgments about this situation, that situation, this person, that person, yourself, even the weather, as if judging were your main function in life. But I created you first and foremost to know me and to live in rich communication with me. When you become preoccupied with passing judgment, you usurp my role. Well, that really got my attention, and I could see how the anger and resentment and judgment were all working together to keep me stuck in this habitual response to this situation that was not very pleasing to me, and I really wanted to change it. So I really had to open up to a new solution. So I talked about being open to the solution, and that's really important, but being open to the solution is not the solution. I knew I had action to take as well. I needed to pray, and I did. I prayed about my anger. I did my best to listen for guidance to help me flip my script to one of acceptance. I reread a daily word entry titled Acceptance. In the past, I may have resisted certain people and situations, insisting that they should have been different than they were. Living that way gave me no peace. Now I practice acceptance. My acceptance has its roots in my faith and trust in God, knowing I am always loved just the way I am. And I was also reminded how important the two-way street of communication is. Certainly prayers are vital, but it's equally important to remember to listen, to listen for the cues, the clues and guidance that come from spirit, whether from a passage from scripture or a beloved book, a conversation with the spiritual mentor, or just sitting in the silence. So with all of these, I'm really learning to improve my connection and my ability to listen and hear. I can 
wouldn't say that I haven't completely flipped the script to acceptance in this situation, but I feel like I've made huge strides and that with what I've learned, ultimately, with God's help, I can be victorious in that sense. So I just wanted to conclude with peace because my goal in flipping the script is to get back into a feeling of peace and acceptance to ultimately re-anchor peace in my heart because that really is what is my connection to spirit. Just the other day, I read a, a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. He said, if in our daily life we can smile, if we can be peaceful and happy, not only we, but everyone will profit from it. This most basic kind of peace work. And when I tune into this this week and I tune into Jesus with my heart, I feel such an extraordinary experience happen. And there was a consciousness that came to this planet to seed something really profound for all of us because it really is a gift for all of us. And this consciousness, which I know that all of us are attuned to and can continue to be, has a promise. And there is a promise of true peace with it. I've experienced it many times in this ministry. And it holds polarity and differences, different expressions of God with love and understanding. And it helps us to recognize our unity with each other. So it's really, I feel when I tune into this day of this beautiful being that came to show God's power to heal, God's power of forgiveness, and God's power to restore us to our true nature we are in God. My intention is that we let spirit illuminate every secret dark corner in our minds and that our hearts melt and merge into the unimaginable love and tenderness of the divine within and without. That this evening we can give ourselves so wholeheartedly to this opportunity and support each other so every cell in our mind and body opens to know that love fully now and forever. Amen. So as I was contemplating the title, Bowing to the Divine, I noticed that in the past my bowing used to be a bit selective. Bowing to the good stuff, but not to everything else. And what does bow to the divine really mean? That we are on our hands and knees and with our head down all the time? Well, in the past, we have been living a compartmentalized spirituality where there is human and then there is divine. There's God. But when we look at Yeshua, he was fully divine, fully God. I and my Father are one. And also fully human. Lord, let this cup pass from me, but thy will be done. He knew who he was, where he came from, and where he was going. But he didn't deny his humanity. He grieved. He felt anger, sorrow, pain, all the human emotions. So to me, bowing to the divine means that I walk in reverence in this incredible life journey. Whether it is joyful or painful, that I don't withdraw, but stay fully present with it all and learn to trust it deeply. I need a lot of practice because bowing is easy, but seeing what is in the way is not. Let us remember that our job is not to seek out love, but the areas within us that are blocking love. So let's look at what it took to get up that mountain that Francois climbed with his colleagues. 
And that is also what it takes to go deep within and live as our true self. First, there's the call to go, the willingness to answer the call, to show up fully, to give up comforts and attachments, even to surviving the journey, to take huge risks, a lot of preparation, training, and facing the hardships of the training. Also, it takes the willingness to listen and trust the divine is helping us every step of the way. Even through, though the mind will keep inserting doubts and resistance. And it takes the willingness to face our deepest fear. Even the fear of injury, sickness and death. We need to face. And then only a few were chosen out of all the applicants. There were a ton of applicants and only a very few were chosen. And out of those very few that were chosen, only a few made it to the top. Only a few. And Francois said, it wasn't the ones you would have expected. Make it. So those few got stripped and cleansed. They got taken all the way, not just to the mountaintop, but through the inner and outer barriers to the heart of the divine. What did they all have in common? They relied not on their own powers alone. They relied on divine power and guidance. And that too comes from deep within us. But there are other things in us that we need to see and let go and offer up. So they bowed to God as the mount, as the clouds, as the weather, as their bodies, as their strength, as their weaknesses. They said yes to it all and went beyond what was humanly possible, no matter what the perceived limitations. I will take us from that mountaintop into the deep caves of the psyche to do some exploring, and I hope you are willing to go with me, even if it is not comfortable. We have an opportunity to be enriched and more connected. The more we can see of the shadow, which is simply all that within us that hasn't been fully seen and met, a false self superimposed on our true divine nature and operating from behind the scenes. So what is most important is the honesty and authenticity. So it's it's really, really necessary to to see what is what is behind even our worship sometimes to go to the depth and and look at the skeletons of guilt and shame that we might still have in our closet i'm not saying you have any but just in case can we see through things to the depth can we truly bow to the divine in sickness and death can we can we bow to God when rage and hurt and shame and guilt comes up? Can we stay present with that and feel it fully? And what does that take? I got this insight when the people like Francois and the group, they climbed the mountain. It was because they wanted to. They, they signed up. It was by consent. But when mountains show up in our lives that we don't expect and that are really difficult and they're just kind of really challenging us, either physically or spiritually or mentally or emotionally, we automatically resist it and we don't want it because we didn't consent to it. We didn't sign up for that. But then I had to go deep with this insight and I realized oh my goodness I just forgot that I consented I as spirit consented to this life I believe with every detail in it with every gruesome and joyful detail in this life unfolding I believe as spirit as a little angel I consented to it completely and I was looking forward to it kind of like Francois and I didn't realize how hard it would be and that I would forget that and then when we feel helpless and we feel like a victim then we, we start resisting and 
it's really that's what creates the suffering is the resistance to things as they are because we we forgot we gave consent and we as spirit consent to everything every gruesome thing here because we are here to experience to enrich our hearts and train our minds there are some quotes Leonard Cohen sings in the song forget your perfect offering there is a crack in everything that's how the light gets in isn't that beautiful and then this quote is by someone else if you have no shadow you are not in the light so my next question of course was what is our internal shadow what does it look like and how do we make friends with it what was your biggest obstacle in your relationship with the divine in your bowing to the divine without reservation my biggest one was hopelessness that childlike notion that the divine could really not help me because i didn't deserve the closeness that was a real deep hidden belief i didn't deserve it and then basically when we have that feeling we don't deserve something we disempower god because god is within us god is that which just is, is the presence it listens we're going to learn to recognize god's blessing in every situation regardless of what you're looking for what you're seeking for that if it comes wonderful but doesn't come thanks be to god god is present with me because it's all about his peace his guidance and ultimately once we go there we have everything Deuteronomy 26 thou has made an end tithing for all the tithes of thy increase the third year which is the year of tithing hasn't given into the Levites the stranger of the fatherless the widows that we may eat within the gates and be filled so one of the keys to multiply your harvest in my world it's about giving a tenth of what God has already given and the way he describes it was God has given everything that you have you know, whether it's your finances your spouse your children your home your job your breath everything is God so he was saying well God just assets 10% come back to him to the, the, the harvest in a sense and to give it away and when I first heard that I go, well that's a lot of money for me personally i grew up on a farm you always heard well we were poor when we grew up and actually our family was since i had 12 siblings and they all kind of came at once so there were many expenses but i just know just by the culture of farming in itself and raising a large family there wasn't a lot of revenue let's put it that way only trusting god for the harvest which means our corn our soybeans the cows the chickens the strawberry we did everything to try to maintain a level of income so we could all survive again honoring what god has already provided for them and when they gave an offering in the jewish tradition it was always their best their best lamb their best goat their best harvest it wasn't that well this is my spare it's actually what you actually had that was the best because you're offering it back to god honoring god that says you provide a you are my great i am you're my provider and I just want to honor you. So what they would do is offer that to the rabbi and they would offer it in the temple. Nowadays, that interpretation would be wherever you're getting spiritually fed, celebrating life is a container of that. And we have many members of celebrating life who tithe regularly, monthly, to our community. But we also, there's, you can tithe to your organization, your, your group, or to the poor, wherever it is, but you're actually taking what God has given you and actually providing it to, for another service for other people. And it's a, what I would call 10% your tithe is actually a seed for your next harvest. And Ron Ross always taught that if you plant petunias, don't expect to get a cow in return. 
you'll get petunias because the seed will generate what you give. So if you give money, you will get money back. I just say back. It's just, it will come in that form. If you invest your time, 10% of your time, you're going to get more time for other things. So it helped me build a consciousness of being aware of what I have personally, and then how can I disperse it so it blesses. And I'm a, I've been a tither probably 40 years. I'm grateful to Ron that he taught me that. Our ministry tithes, always, as part of our makeup. It is about keep planting the seeds. And it took a while for me to grasp a hold of that, but I also know what it has created in me. And to me, it's really a huge heart. And part of the, for me, the tithing, personal key, is once I recognize God's given me 100% of what I have, and if I give 10% back, planting seeds for another house, a blessing other people, but also know God is faithful, that he will multiply that. So to realize, once I learned the principle of tithing, something happened, something was created. Now, I don't know how many of you are, are, have a debt in your life, whether it's a loan, paying off the house, with kids, whatever that might be. But with God, he wants to he provides everything. So he actually has ideas, wisdom that can position you to get out of debt and then to be a blessing. Well, if you look at the word debt, D-E-B-T, and I'm just going to, I don't know what you call it, but D is doing, E is everything, B is but, T is tithing. <laughs> doing everything but tithing. Once you learn the key of being a blessing to others, God takes those seeds and continues to multiply that. And I've been debt free for 40 years. So I'm very grateful to God how he's been faithful. Like all of us, we say, we position ourselves, make wise decisions. God was the source. And he was teaching me, put God first, put others first, and everything else will be added. That's what the scripture says. So I think everybody knows this. Well, Jesus, the disciples, they were following Jesus and it was getting dark and the disciples told Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell the crowd to go away because go to the other towns because they need food. We don't have anything. And he goes, you feed them. And I was like, what? You know, okay. And they went around and they asked and there was, they collected five loaves and two fishes. And I love this, this one of the first miracles of Jesus because it talked about he looked up, he took it in his hands and he looked up and gave thanks. His, his father was the source, just as Jesus is the source for you and I. So he recognized he went to the father first. We go to the father. We go to the creator. Say, God, thank you for what I have. And we'll bless it. There's the decree. There's the multiplication. He blessed us. And then it said, gave it to the disciples. How many were there? Twelve. And so once it starts dispersing this, there were 5,000 people here. That was just men, and then there was women and children besides, so there could be possibly 15,000 people there, feeding with five loaves and two fishes. The miracle happened when the disciples broke it, break it, give it away. And so as they were giving it away, it was multiplied. And it says in the end, they collected 12 baskets, and, was, and everybody was full. That's an incredible gift. And can your mind imagine if you'd be asked to bless something and multiply it? I had a, I had a story. It was before, I think a year before I met Ron. And Ron was running a house of prayer for the diocese, give workshops on Saturdays. And they gave a prayer workshop. And you were supposed to sign up because it served a meal. And the word got out and people were coming, but they weren't signed up for it. So he started to get nervous because he knew 
let's say, what their cutoff point was. Let's say 25 people and what, 50 or 60 people showed up. So they didn't account for that. So he was freaking out. I could just imagine. And he was telling the prayer group and the cooks downstairs, oh my God, all these people are coming and we won't have food. And then the head cook said, Father Ron, he said, let's pray. Oh, she goes, let me pray. So she, they held hands, they just decree, God will multiply it. And then he, the lady says, Father, you go back upstairs and you teach, don't worry about it. Well, when it came time to prepare the lunch, they said, every bit was steals and they got seconds. And Ron was just dumbfounded. If this was his multiplication. And she, what did you do? He said, asked the lady, or the head cook, and she goes, I had faith, just as you're teaching it upstairs. We showed what God can do. And it was through God's favor, everybody was fed. And then there was leftovers. That was a big thing. Ron wanted leftovers, so he wanted to be determined. He had it, and God provided his need. And I'm sure you have a story that each of you have in your own life that really takes effects in how God can multiply things. And sometimes it can be the strangest thing. And it's just being in remembrance of that. To me, that's a seed. So whenever we are in quote, desperation or looking for a miracle or a way out, whatever that is, pausing and allowing those testimonies to come forth because that's the seed for the next miracle. So it's about trusting our Creator. And what a beautiful thing, which multiplies our harvest because what we have in our hands is not enough. So everything works together for good for those that love God. I just love this quote. This is from Matthew. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. It also goes on to say, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. The light you think you have is actually darkness. How deep that darkness is. Really, this is, again, this is about tonight, where it's incredibly, I've found it incredibly important that when we are going through a breaking process, which a lot of people are, right, that we can see clearly what's actually going to have the eyes of God, to have the heart of God. Otherwise, if we fixate on those pieces that are breaking off, we can get lost in it. You know, we can get lost in the pain. We can get lost in the things that are happening on the news. Having this clear seeing becomes very, very important. That's that's what happens. We have parts of us that, are, that get confused when we break through beliefs when we break through things that uh, identities of who we think we are, when we break through and break off expectations, break through judgments, there's these characters inside that come up and they get really, really intense. And we have to make sure we stay in the light because these characters can be very convincing. And when we do break through, sometimes they still come back and they say, you're crazy. Just like at the end there. And so I think you're seeing things. We actually move into the light. We, go, we much, go into a much more expanded space. And that's what we're getting into tonight. So you can take this in as a healing because what we're going to do is we're, we're allowing you to see a wider view, allowing yourself to see a wider view within your own life. There's one thing I do, which is I try to make light of the voices. You know, all those voices, we all have voices in the mind that tell us different things. And I like to see them as little characters so that they don't seem so big. So this is something called internal family systems. And it just talks about our internal world. So that's us sitting in our, that's me, let's say me sitting in my living room. And what can, what can happen, you know, I'm just innocently sitting there. If I'm going through a big shift, like one of these things, which all of us are going through right now, some of these voices can start coming up from underneath the living room. Make yourself beautiful, get a good career, buy more stuff, go on Netflix, 
keep looking at your phone. <laughs> make sure you do, make sure make sure that you are useful in this world. You know, make sure you're saving the planet. That can be a like, voice too. That can that can unground us. So there's a lot of voices. It could be not just negative voices, but what we might consider positive voices. And what can happen when we're going through an experience of breaking? When we're going through an experience where God is really wanting to just um, break us open and bring us to a new level of heart expansion, a new level where we want to feel and experience our heart more in the world, where we want to connect with people, is sometimes these characters get afraid. So this might be my inner perfectionist, which was coming up before the call, because technology was not working, the little perfectionist with the books here, and it was trying to control Miriam and Padre and Brian and Renee, like, no, do this, do this, and I had to keep saying, okay, I need to go back to my prayer closet, <laughs> I don't have to worry, even though the technology is not working. I see the little character here is trying to pop in, and I'm being asked in this moment to, to live what I'm talking about, to, to let this part of me break, the thing that thinks that I need to do this perfectly, that the technology even needs to work, and maybe the technology doesn't have to work today, just to let it all go, really, just to let it all go. So what we want to allow is to develop this connection with God so that God can start being the, the director or a higher self, both in union together. When we can get a, a bigger understanding of what's actually happening, then it's easier to let go. We don't hold on so much onto things. And that may not necessarily mean all of our suffering goes away, but that when we can allow ourselves to see, oh, this is just a part of me that is frustrated again, that I think I need to be really spiritual right now. I think I need to be really accepting right now. I think I need to be totally forgiving right now of everything. And what this is saying is, no, let's just let's just allow ourselves to see and then let God take over from there. When I'm going through tough times, Jesus is such a beautiful example to me of someone who moves through suffering with grace. And he just, and also someone who just embraced his purpose here and really, and really lived, lived fully. There's a scene in, I believe it's, Something like that. Let's say it's Luke, yeah. Where, right before he's sent to the cross, right before he's portrayed, and he was, he's pretty much saying, God, you know, I, can you take this away from me? I, this is a sense, you know, this is, this is too much. And yet he said, you know, there's a little moment of doubt there, or pain, which is a lot of grief. He's went through a lot of grief. And then he said, but your, your will, not mine. So, you know, Jesus went through pain just like we do. You know, just like a lot of us right now, we went through a lot of pain. One of the things he was showing us was how to pray, you know, that honesty. Like, I don't want this right now. This is true. There's a part of me that doesn't want this. But your will, not my will. Not my ego's will, your will. The, the partnership I've created, my higher self created with you, God. I want that to happen. I want to be willing to open to that. And so because of that prayer and that connection, you can see that angel came in and, and offered him support. And it helped him. It gave him strength to move on his path. That was the presence. You know, he allowed that presence. There were many more moments of that that happened along the way for him, too. This is real. Whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter. There's nothing too big for God. You take one step towards God, God takes a thousand steps towards you. It's just that one moment of willingness just to receive, to receive that grace. This is a quote from James, which I'll read to you. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I remember I was reading one of Von Roth's books, and it was talking about the dark night of the soul, which I know a lot of us have gone through. And it said, God, you think you have gone through a lot until the dark night comes, and then God takes everything away, even the good things. Because God knows that there's something even better. The 
there's something even better waiting. I've experienced this many times. And this is the new one. And this is, I, when I saw this and I heard a song about the start seeing communion. God wants to, to, to crush the grapes, to, to let out these programs and these old beliefs about ourselves, all these old energy, all these old emotions, which we can't hold on to. We can't hold on to, and the light that wants to burst through is the seed that we are, that moves into the expression that we are. So the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders, give orders to God, and interfering with God's work within us. Can we can we really allow this this crushing to happen? We don't have to see crushing as a bad thing. We can see this breaking open as a joyful thing, breaking open to the light that we are, something much bigger that we're being invited into on our path, beyond anything that we can imagine. Even when we visualize things, we can't even imagine what God has that's possible for us. And ultimately, what is this new line? It's really a gift of ourselves. It's, we are the expression. We are the gift back. We can't, like um, St. Francis says, make, make me a vessel with your peace. We can't be that peace unless we empty, unless we empty out. That when we allow ourselves to break, we become a gift. We become that flower. And that's God's gift to the world. This passage, The Narrow Gate, I'm going to read it to you because this is really important. This is, this is summing up the whole series. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, right, right before this passage, I was reading it. Before this verse was another verse, and it was the golden rule. Do, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophet. And I, I just love that story that both Renate and, and Padre talked about, and Padre was talking about forgiveness. How do we enter that narrow gate? How do we enter where we start to become unified with God? We need to forget, no matter what, no matter who it is, what's happened in our life, what part of our life. And mostly we need to forgive ourselves. What I did was I realized this is a breaking moment, and I needed to break. It's no different than any other issue I've had in my life, where I don't know if I can play this French horn, like Bobby said, I don't know if I can do this talk, and you're like, what does it hurt not to break through this little plastic wall of fear and see what happens? A whole new level opened up for me. In the end, we made it through that situation, and everything was fine. I could move forward, and again, it was it was not me. It's, I hear the steps to do. More subtle thing that's, that's for everybody, everybody goes through this too. I mean, it's just, in each one of these, a fear pulls me down. I feel that fear pulling me down. I wouldn't say the fear rises up. It's more like I'm, it, it's thrown at me. My own inner issue. And I, I, I go, no, I believe in something more. And again, the guidance, each one of these, the first one with, was Raphael, the second one was Raphael, and this one was my whole counsel just saying, we'll walk you through the steps of how this is going to work. Maybe things have to wait. Some things go forward. And with it, all of a sudden, a vision came of how to solve this problem. In it, I find each and every time, it's never my mind, as you said, Bobby, my mind can't handle these things. It doesn't know what to do with it. it. That's why I was talking about last time. You have to lose your mind. Too many minds are trying to solve the problem, and none of them have access to the, the full grace of God. doesn't understand the solutions. It's only going back to your old data points saying, well, if I poke this thing, maybe something will happen. What I've learned to do is say, you tell me, you guide me, except... I'm not an automat. It's not taking. I'm not a robot. It didn't take me over. And yes, it did. I gave permission to be a channel in this space. I'm not in charge of it. I'm just supposed to do what it says, including millimoments of where I'm supposed to put my finger and how long to hold it. And all of it is never. Oh wow, this is wonderful. I like. 
when it rises up, all you can do is float with it. All you can do is fly. Like, is it put out your wings and let the wind take you where you're supposed to go? As we harvest at first the heart, that really allows us to enter into that sacred place where I believe God is and where my brothers and sisters are. If we meet there, it seems to draw us in and teaching us, honoring us, and bringing us together as we heal together. And like in all, I call it healing experiences, we do have sometimes challenges just to hear the message in a sense or to feel it like I did. But it, it's also showing me whether it's a block, whether it's an opening, and the beautiful Holy Spirit and divine presence can help us. And that's what it's about, because we get to do this together. In my tradition, where two or more gather in thy name, there I am. So that I am presence is always present, even though it might feel uncomfortable, but I know that I know my Yeshua is right next to me. Brother Rick, would you welcome back this? The intention, the intention is love. The intention is the elimination of all suffering. The intention is beauty, love, light for everyone. So let me offer a prayer into that space. There's God, come. Holy Spirit, come. Yeshua, come. All the saints, angels, God, come. Be with us. Pray an opening of the portal, pouring forth God's love, God's ministering angel, everyone on this call, everyone across our nation, regardless of what their beliefs are, we are one. All to awake, awaken into the light and love of God, pouring forth throughout the world, helping each and all. Awaken, awaken into that flowering of the heart angelic is so beautifully described. Awaken into our oneness with each other. Awaken into our oneness with God. And I pray healing for each and all. All that stands in you and us. That presence surrounded me as everyone. As we put our intention out there, that's an energy, that's a frequency. And we just love to allow that frequency to wrap her arms around us. Angelica, would you place your intention out there and also offer yes. her for you? Yeah. So my intention is actually in this prayer. So it's one and the same. So bless your body that it be filled and lifted to a new mind, to a new energy. Bless your life, that it be an extension of your divine mind. Bless your past, that it turn to wisdom. Bless the challenges in your life, that they initiate you into greatness. Bless your future, that your life purpose is fulfilled. Bless your soul, that it wakes you from this dream, and that it be your guide. And bless the benevolent energy of the unseen to move in you, to stir in you, to flow through you and all around you. Bless you that the sea of divine awareness becomes your mind, that its nature becomes your nature, that its will becomes your will, and its love for life becomes your love for life to delight with you 
in the depths of your being. And we bless every being on earth now and always with this benediction. And so it is. Amen. Each of us have our, our special intention, I think, of why we come on these calls, be with community, but also to offer up our prayer requests. And in keeping with the theme of the heart of the, the harvest, why don't we place a hand on the heart as the approach for your own personal intention for healing tonight. And as Angelica and Richard raise your hands, just as bless our audience, those who are watching. Allow our hearts to open and to manifest grace, the anointing, the love of God that heals, that restores our homes, our families, our workplace, our nation, the world, and all the light beings. Allow that grace now through the divine light beings and angels to be administering right now through specific areas of our body for divine surgery. Come, Holy Spirit, that your healing presence is coming. Thank you, God, for the healing of those suffering from COVID-19. We bless the caregivers who are there helping, supporting, renewing, touching them, assuring them how much they are loved by God by their families. Yes, we bless those hospital workers, the hospice, those serving those who are dying. And all those souls who in the last month have passed on and those who will in the next day, next hour, that to be ushered into a, a great I am presence, the light that's beyond our world, radiating within each of our hearts. Restore, restore, Restore. I thank you, God, for that healing element. I just, there's a sense of activity, great activity happening. I believe it's the release of the angels in the healing realm, that frequency. And as you have your own hand on your heart, you know, place on the part of the body that needs healing now. I believe we're all antennas of healing right now. I just say thank you, God, for your divine oneness. Holy, holy, holy. Thank you, God, for bringing those who are looking for a job, the right placement right now. You know, the, the scripture says it's in the Holy Spirit goes before us. That goes before us. So with your intention goes the new job offer. Thank you, O Lord, our God. This ringing in the ears, that just diminished now. Just by the frequency that's already been manifesting here in your home, in my home. I thank you, O Lord, our God, for the healing of cancer. I thank you, God that decree in the name of Jesus just dissolve that the light of the consciousness of Christ just heal and restore. Trigger diabetes. I just command the, the blood count to go down. Thank you, O Lord our God. Bring balance to the kidney, to the pancreas. Thank you, O Lord our God. In the feet, in the ankles, the swelling to go down. Thank you, O Lord our God, for your great, great grace. For those who have migraine headaches, just come, Holy Spirit. Just allow that grace now to bring peace that passes all understanding. Let it be so in you, around you, in and out of you. And let the atmosphere of the home change. Any conflict with your children, with your spouse, I just break that activity now. 
and I just command the negative energies to leave, but also in its place, the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, God, for your living presence. Thank you, God, for the great I am. We're just going to just say thank you, God, for your life in us and for the heart of the harvest as we open up our hearts and lives. It just gets filled with the more. Oh, I just bless each of you with that divine presence and allow grace, grace, grace to give you a kiss. And we say thank you in gratitude for all the gifts, all the healing in Jesus' name. Amen.